You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Seth Davis shows up on all of our television sets every March during CBS's coverage of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. He's on the CBS set throughout the college hoop season, but most of us really become glued to the set in mid-March. Seth's insight and wit make him the perfect partner with Greg Gumbel and Clark Kellogg. Sometimes during the tournament, he switches over to Turner Networks and works with Ernie Johnson and Wally Zerbiak. He's nimble enough to blend in with whoever else is on the set. Seth is a 1992 graduate of Duke University, where he played a huge role in the Blue Devils' back-to-back national championships as a columnist on the University Daily Newspaper, The Chronicle. <laughs> Later wrote for Sports Illustrated for more than 20 years and now writes for The Athletic. Of course, there is no longer an off-season in eSports, so we had to squeeze Seth there. Seth had to squeeze in, uh, squeeze us in, I should say. So he's agreed to join us today. Seth, welcome to Sports Connections. David, good to be with you, man. That was pretty good on that uh, introduction. I, I did play an immensely important role in uh, Duke winning back-to-back championships, although, you know, my senior year, they had uh, open tryouts. They were looking for a walk-on or two to add um, to the team for whatever reason, and uh, I, of course, had no illusions about whether or not I was good enough to make the team, but I was smart enough to know that if I tried out, I'd have a great column. There you go. So I did try out and the experience was cool. Uh, and there's still a lot of controversy about me getting cut, whether it was Tommy Amaker or Mike Bray, the two assistants, they each blame each other for the decision to cut me. But uh, Coach <laughs> Kate likes to, to remind me uh, just about every conversation that I have with him that he was wise enough to cut me. So somehow they won uh, their, their second straight national championship my senior year without me. I don't know how without you. I, I, I can relate. I, I got a letter for college or for high school golf. Um, I can't, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. We had four high school golfers who, who had, who shot regularly in the seventies and the, and they, they played every match and the, the state required that we have five golfers on the varsity roster. So we had an open tryout and I got on there just because I don't know. I don't know how I got on because I'm not a good golfer. I never sniffed the course for practice or matches, but hey, I was on the on the team that went to the state. It's a matter of uh, historical record. That's that's, that's right. That's right. Um, so you've been connected to college basketball since your own college days. Did did you plan a career as a sports writer, or was with with college basketball, or was that just the best opportunity for you? Well, I would say both. I mean, I it's definitely something that I always wanted to do ever since I can remember. The original plan was to be the starting quarterback for the Washington Redskins. Okay. Uh, and then I got to about high school when I realized that was not in the card. Probably, a little <laughs> bit. Probably around my bar mitzvah, I figured out that wasn't um, going to happen for me. And, you know, I, I really, David, I have to say, looking back, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I feel very fortunate. I, I think as actually one of my competitive advantages that I really did kind of know at an early age, what I wanted to do. Now, did I know all the specifics about how that would manifest? Definitely not. Um, now, you and I are, are old enough to, to know about this context when I talk to like, you know, college course uh, kids, maybe they yeah. don't appreciate this, but you know, back in the day when we were younger, uh, we got our sports news from the local broadcast, right? So right. you grew up where? You grew up where? In Kansas City. 
Kansas City. Okay, great sports town, phenomenal sports town. I grew up in the, in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. Channel 4 was the NBC affiliate. Channel 7 was the ABC affiliate. Channel 9 was a CBS affiliate. The local newscast came on at 6 o'clock. And then at about 6.37, maybe, the local sportscaster would come on and do his six or seven minutes of highlights <laughs> and news and whatever they had. And yeah. that was how you got your sports news. For me, you know, ESPN had kind of just started, but it wasn't a, a thing yet. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in high school. As I said, I was a big uh, Redskins fan, the team formerly known as the Redskins. And I, you know, see the guy on, on TV uh, and he's wearing a suit and he looks like he's having fun. He's hanging out with Joe Theismann and everybody and Joe Gibbs. And um, he's probably making good money. And I was definitely a ham. So I kind of looked at that and said, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, by the same token, I always had a reverence uh, and appreciation for writers and writing and newspapers. You know, my dad is uh, very involved in, in politics and his favorite movie, my favorite movie with him watching all the time was All the President's Men. So I had this romantic notion about writers. So I never really differentiated between it's got to be one or the other. So then right. when I got to Duke, where they didn't have, um, you know, journalism or communications as a major. I was a political science major at Duke, but I knew they had a great sports program. The basketball team had just made the final four. They had a student TV station, a student radio station and a student newspaper. And I figured I could go to Duke, get a good education, do all those things, cover sports. Um, and then, you know, the basketball team took off. I was actually in the same class, the same freshman dorm as Christian Leitner. Um, so I chronicled that uh, very uh, up close and in person. And so I just kind of followed it from there. My first job out of, and then I had the decision at the end of my uh, time at, at college, do I try to go into writing or do I try to go into TV? And there were enough guys on television. Will McDonough comes to mind. Pete Axtelm is another guy, guys who are writers, Dick Schapp writers who were doing TV at a very high level. And it's amazing as it is to say, this is now 30 some odd years later, David, that's what I saw myself. I said, well, you know, I definitely want to be on TV. That's definitely my aspiration. But I think a better path to get there is through writing and yeah. also writing as a job. I just it just suited me writing, reporting that Woodward and Bernstein shoe leather, uh, maybe a little less glamorous, but it was the lack of glamour that kind of appealed to me. So, yeah. you know, that with the college basketball uh, experience that I had there. I spent two year, two and a half years covering high school sports for the New Haven Register in Connecticut. Got to Sports Illustrated in the summer of 1995. I was 25 years old as a very low level uh, fact checker. Clawed, uh, clawed my way out of the bullpen, as we call it, and then moved into television. And it's 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 pretty unbelievable that not only things worked out as I planned, but even far better than I ever imagined. And and working with uh, the two gentlemen that you mentioned, Greg Gumble and Clark Kellogg, is really uh, the cherry on top of that experience that those two guys are not only my on-air colleagues now for almost 20 years, but truly, truly two of my best friends in the world. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know Greg at all, but but Clark and I, I met Clark at the 82 NBA draft. Oh, wow. And I remember him. I'm, I'm a few years older than you. I remember him because I was kind of a, I was working at a radio station uh, on Long Island and we got credentials. So I went, I mean, that's, I had no reason to be there other than the fact I wanted to be there. And we were in the media dining room where they brought the players in as well. And we walked up to the buffet line at the same time. And he was like, after you, sir. I'm like, holy cow, what a nice kid. I've yeah. been a Clark Kellogg fan ever since. I reconnected with him through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that's been 20 years at least. And he and I have become very, very good friends. So He's still um, a nice kid. 
Oh yeah, the yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it, it's interesting, you, and this wasn't in what I sent you ahead of time, but my my favorite uh, Christian Leitner story. I was doing. I've written for the Final Four program for like the last fifteen years, and in 2012, they asked me to do a story uh, on the Duke Kentucky game in '92, the Leitner shot, and I interviewed Christian. I interviewed. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, um, Sean Woods from Kentucky had a couple other people. Neither coach would do it because Feinstein had written a book the summer before and they were talked out and it was during the season. So I, I called the NCAA and I said, give me somebody else. And they said, well, how about Vern Lundquist? I'm thinking, oh, this will be great. You know, he's such an such a gregarious guy. It'll be a great interview. It was the most boring interview I've ever done in my life. Oh, really? Vern did deliver, huh? And I just I couldn't I couldn't believe it because every question Every answer was, yeah, no, not really. And so I, when I'm doing an interview for a story, if I don't have everything I need, I'll always follow up with, is there anything else that I haven't asked you about? All of a sudden that flipped the switch. And he said, well, there is one thing. Maybe you'll find this interesting. He said, 1972, I'm, I'm uh, the anchor at WFAA in Dallas. And I'm also the radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys. And he said, Thursday night, slow news night. And I get a call from Calvin Hill. Wow. And he said, I just want to let you know, Janet just gave birth to our first child. And he said, well, you're a big deal here in town. Can I, can I tell that story on the air? He goes, yeah, that's fine. So I, he said that night I got to announce the arrival of Grant Henry Hill. Sunday afternoon, Grant Hill, or excuse me, Calvin Hill throws a perfect halfback option pass 50 yards to Golden Richards who catches the ball the, for a touchdown against their rival Pittsburgh Steelers. He says, 20 years later, I'm sitting courtside and there is Grant Henry Hill who throws a perfect pass to Christian oh Lakers who hits the shot. And once again, I got to announce the arrival of Grant Henry Hill. <laughs> That's and, a great story. And I said, and you've never told anybody that he goes, well, I've talked to Calvin and Janet about it. I might've mentioned it to, to Grant, but I didn't think anybody else would find that interesting. And I said, uh, you just wrote my lead <laughs> and that was the lead story. Well, he, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he became friends. We've had him on the podcast. He's, he's such a good guy. And we've even joked about that particular thing. So that's, that's my favorite cool. Christian. Well, can, I, I, can, I, can I give you a full circle? Yeah, thing? absolutely. Because you talk about Calvin. So uh, I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with my father, Lanny, who uh, is a uh, kind of a big deal in politics, worked in the Clinton okay. White House, uh, went to law school with Hillary. So they're very good friends. Um, my dad was an undergraduate at Yale and for some odd reason was put in a freshman year dormitory suite with three football players. So he ended up pledging the football fraternity, which was Deke, uh, which included, uh, among others, a young man named uh, George W. Bush. So yeah. became, you know, they were all kind of together. And Calvin Hill was in that fraternity. And my dad was Calvin's quote unquote, big brother in that <laughs> fraternity. So fast forward, however many years later, I'm a sophomore at Duke and who's on a recruiting visit at Duke, but Grant Henry Hill. Oh, so that's perfect. I, I, I meet Grant on his visit. And then we tell our dads know each other. Cause I think Calvin and me, I, I don't even know what Grant knew. And then you know, yeah. Grant, you know, connected uh, when he was on campus and we were all together at some point. And, and my dad said to Calvin, you know, what would I have said to you 20 years ago? Well, we we're back at Yale and that story about this and that in the fraternity that 
our boys would be together at Duke University. And I chimed in, I said, I think Calvin's answer would have been, well, I hope my son is the one who's going to be picked third in the NBA draft. <laughs> so we've been able to stay friends and now, and I've always been good friends with Grant. He's a beautiful guy. Oh yeah. Uh, and of course now Grant is back in the broadcasting family uh, with, uh, with Turner and calling the final four. So I was just with him in Indianapolis and, uh, so it all comes it all comes back to Vern Lundquist and, and announcing the birth. So there you and, go. And and this this interview today was meant to be absolutely Beshert. Beshert is the is the Yiddish word for it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you've also written about the NBA and the NFL, but you keep coming back to college hoops. Is that because that's the best opportunity, or is that your favorite? Great question. So uh, the answer is both. You know, when I got to Sports Illustrated again, you're you're assigned you're a low level. Of course, you're at Sports Illustrated, so you're in the big leagues, but you know, right. you're uh, the, 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 you're a fact checker and a reporter. And so it's your job to check the facts of other writers' stories. And it was a it's kind of tedious work, but it's the best education that you can get. Oh, yeah. The, the week starts and the story lands on your desk, and you go through it word by word, line by line, and make sure everything is correct. The first thing you do is call the writer. Where'd you get this? How'd you get that? Where'd you get this? Mm-hmm. So you know, it, we all, all, anyone who comes there as a fact checker, obviously it's their dream to be able to write for the magazine. So you have to make yourself valuable. So it was a natural inclination for me because of my background at Duke and the work that I'd done in New Haven. I covered a lot of high school basketball in, in New Haven to want to cover college basketball. But I also saw that as a pathway out of the bullpen because there was no, you know, like Peter King was dominant on the NFL as a beat writer. There, there was no like hardcore nuts and bolts beat writer on college basketball, the way Peter was on the NFL. And we had a couple of very good writers, Alex Wolf, who's a great friend and mentor of mine, was the main um, college basketball writer. In fact, he wrote an incredible um, story on that Duke Kentucky game uh, the following year uh, about it. So, but, but he wasn't, he was the lyrical long form guy. He wasn't. So I kind of made myself valuable to the college basketball editor and also having covered a lot of high school recruiting, David gave me, value in that. Sure. So, you know, I, I've, I've thought about that. I've, you know, again, talking to college classes or what have you about what that word that you said opportunity. Um, now, again, I'm sure I would have pushed the college basketball envelope as far as I could, but had there been a, an opening on a different beat, I mean, I've written about everything in my career, including, you know, little league. And I used to cover high school track for new Haven. I mean, I'll write about whatever. Yeah. Um, but th- I definitely saw an opening and it dovetailed with my expertise and my desire. And so I just kind of zeroed in on it and became known as a college basketball guy. And when I got to the point where I knew more about the sport than the editor, then I was on my way. That's pretty cool. Now, um, you talked about uh, the fact you knew early on that you wanted to be a writer and it didn't take long for you to say, I want to be a writer who also gets on TV. What would you be doing if you weren't doing that? Or, or do you care? <laughs> if I wasn't on, on TV or wasn't a writer on TV? Ba- basically what you're doing. What would you be doing if you didn't have the role you have now? Well, um, again, going back to my father, uh, I've always had an interest in politics. Uh, I think I would have been a pretty good public servant. I think I would have been a pretty good lawyer. Um, you know, the, the thing is, I, I just I couldn't see myself going to law school. You know, being a lawyer is a lot of is a lot of grinding, mm-hmm. and a lot of reading and detailing and stuff like that. And that just wasn't, you know, in school, if I wasn't really interested in a topic or really liked the teacher, then I probably wasn't going to get a great grade 
right in class. It was going to be good enough that you know to keep my parents off my back or what have you. But <laughs> um, so you know, I, I I always just felt a very strong writer's voice. Uh, I was always one of the best writers in the class. I was always one of the best writers at the school. I think it was kind of known. And um, so if I wasn't writing about sports and talking about sports, I'd probably be writing about something else. Yeah. Um, you know, it's certainly possible. I actually, you know, I was just breaking this down for my son the other day. I got a son who's a junior in high school now starting to look at colleges. If memory serves, I did apply to get to Yale uh, and I had already gotten to Duke and, and wanted to go to Duke, but I got waitlisted at Yale and then I got rejected. Had I gotten into Yale, I'm sure I would have gone. Uh, how do you not go into Yale? Yeah. Especially yeah. growing up as my dad's like, Yale was like this incredible, like, how do you say no to Yale? And I still think I would have gone in pursuing sports and sports media, and it certainly would have been viable for me. But, you know, maybe do I go to Yale and I get some other bug that sends me on a different path to law and politics and, and public service? You know, anything is and anything is possible. But I, I could tell you that what I do is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, I, I've, I've never worked a day in my life, and I'm definitely not uh, breaking my streak today. Well, my, as my Swedish grand, great-grandmother, who passed away when I was about 12 years old, used to say, uh, I had a had a friend who got accepted into Yale and I went to her house and I said, I said, John got John is going to Yale. And she goes, really? What he do? <laughs> <laughs> OK, back to basketball. Um, yes. All of us hoops nerds went into mourning in March 2020. Uh, never remember how, properly the way to say that when the sports world just shut down. How did you cope with that? Well, it was tough. I mean, um, and I lived with, I lived this with Clark because, you know, the, 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 I think the, the flashpoint moment really for the country uh, and not just the sports world was when Rudy Gobert uh, tested positive uh, center for the jazz and then the N and the NBA suspended its season. And this was on a Thursday and select Selection Sunday was that Sunday. So I'm getting ready to fly to New York the next day. Or maybe this was, I think Wednesday night was the, the NBA getting. Right. And as soon as I saw that, I knew the tournament was going to get canceled. Um, so it was like, not only for the tournament to get canceled, but as I'm, I always say like the, the selection show is really kind of the peak hour of my year work-wise. I mean, the tournament is great. The Final Four is great. But for me and what I do, that selection show is, is about as big as it gets. Yeah. And so for me to kind of be preparing to have that experience every year, um, it was tough. But, you know, I, I would hope that uh, all of us can keep pers the proper perspective in, in these moments. There yeah. were a lot bigger concerns going on in the world than whether I would get to do the selection show. So it was a very unsettling time. Um, it's actually a very salient question, David, because I just today, if you see this, uh, I got my second dose. Okay. So uh, I got vaccinated here in, in, in LA. And, and if you had told us a year ago that we, that would be the case, I don't think we would have thought yeah. that. So uh, some good has come out of it. Um, you know, I, I always kind of quote my coaches uh, that I talk to, you know, they like to say you control the controllables. Yeah. Um, the only thing you can control in this life is your attitude and find a way to be, um, think of others. I think being other directed is, is very helpful. When you think about Mimi and how this is impacting right. me, you can get into a rabbit hole. When you think about other people and what others were going through, certainly just from a basic health standpoint. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the worry trap is there for all of us every day 
for a million different reasons. And I spend a lot of time and effort and uh, mental energy practicing, uh, whether it be faith, spirituality, Zen, uh, mindfulness. I'm a meditator. Um, just kind of staying in the moment and not letting, you know, catching yourself when you start to go in that direction and just holding, you know, holding on one day at a time and, and trying to have faith that things are going to get better, even as they're rapidly getting worse. You know, it's not, uh, there's no secret magic formula to it is, right. is uh, just keeping it simple and steady. I, I helped Joe Lenardi with his book on the history of bracketology yes. last yes. summer. And uh, we in there, he, he claims it now, but I was the one that came up with it. That the selection Sunday is the biggest non-sporting sporting event in the country. Well, that's very well put. I mean, you know, what, what I always try to explain is, you know, why it's so incredible for me to be on this show is, you know, all that I do the rest of the year is I comment on, on the action, right? I come up at halftime on the games. I'll write an article. I write a column. I write picks. You know, the action is there and I'm there to, you know, gather information and disseminate it and communicate it to my audience. For that one hour of the year, we are the action. Right. And I remember the first year that I was on the selection show was 2004. And the big question that year was whether Jameer Nelson and St. Joe's um, which had just lost their first game in the conference tournament, but had gone through the regular season undefeated, whether they were going to get a number one seat. And I distinctly remember, you know, we did this sort of Phil show and post game show of the big 10 leading up to the selection show. And right. Like at that point, of course I knew cause I'd seen the bracket, but nobody else, the show hadn't started. And as we're going to commercial before the reset to the start of the show, Greg Gumble shows St. Joseph's the team and they're in an arena and they have, you know, a thousand people behind them. Yeah. Yeah. Will they be the number one seed? We'll find out after this. And I remember thinking they're watching us, you know? So yeah. uh, that's a great, I, I never heard that before, but that's a great way to put it as a non sporting sporting event. I mean, it's definitely a great idea. <laughs> you know, if you go back in the history of the tournament, it didn't, I think it actually may have started. I could be wrong about this. I believe it started in 82 was the first year that CBS had the tournament. So 81 mm -hmm. was when Indiana and Isaiah Thomas won. That was right. the night that Reagan was shot. Um, and it came to CBS the next year. I don't know if they did a selection show that first year, but I do think pretty early on. Yeah, I don't think it was the first year, yes. but yeah. It was okay, cool. I, I would love to know. I don't know if anyone's really done, like, that'd be a great story for the athletic, you know, the oral history of the selection show. Like who's the first person to come up with that idea. I mean, what a great, great idea and an incredible, incredible humbling honor for me. I mean, I, I hope I don't sound self aggrandizing to say this, but the fact that people associate me with that show yeah. and the tournament is like the ultimate humbling, incredible thing that I can describe. Joe, Joe talks about the fact, you know, he's, he's five, six, who doesn't know, you know, doesn't know anything about diagramming a play, but there are worse things to be known for. There's worse things to have on your tombstone than the inventor of bracketology. There's worse yeah, no things question. for you than to be known as the guy who gets to break down the, the, the bracket. Let me ask you before we get on to a couple of wrap up questions. Sure. How good are you at predicting the winners? Is your bracket any good? Oh, I'm horrible. No, I'm, I'm horrible. <laughs> Partly because I like to take chances. Yeah. Uh, and I'm on TV and I'm doing this. I like to pick up sets. So I tell I always tell people like, well, what's, what's, the, what's your number one piece of advice for winning the bracket pool? Number one advice, do not use my picks. <laughs> uh, you know, on the, on the Schmendrick that on the selection show this year, I picked Colgate, Colgate to beat Arkansas. Uh, and, and I can tell you for a hundred percent certainty that 
that Twitter does work in the state of Arkansas, because I heard from uh, everybody inside the state uh, when, when that happened, but, but, you know, it's not, I'm not indiscriminate about it, but I do like to look for, I mean, ups, I know upsets are going to happen. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of picking out what are the five or six, because you can get all of them wrong, but if you hit one of those things, right, then you're a legend. Yeah. My, my wife who picks based on either nicknames or color of uniform one year, like, probably 2013, 14, picked both 15 seeds to beat the twos. Your Duke Blue Devils and Mizzou both lost as two seeds, and she picked them both. She picked and, that. Oh, my gosh. Same and day. That was apart. And by the end of the weekend, all 16 of her teams were gone. So uh-huh. she does really well in the, with there picking the upsets. She just picks too many of them. There you go. Um, I've read a lot of your stuff. Seth, and I, and I love reading it. It seems like you like the personality of basketball as much, if not more, than the X's and O's. Is that true? And if so, why? Very much so. Um, and it's a great observation, David. I mean, I, I think the things that I enjoy reading and writing are when you delve into people. You know, that that's really what it gets down to. And, and, the, and the contours of people, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to me, I, I often fall back on the notion that um, you know, our best qualities and our worst qualities often come from the, almost always come from the same place. Yeah. They're the same quality. Uh, and so when I kind of isolate that in my characters and I can really build a story out of that, um, you know, last year towards the end of the season, I wrote a really long story that I wanted to do for several years and couldn't quite get around to doing it. I wrote a real long, real long story on Dick Vitale, who is kind of, you know, portrayed as and portrays himself as, you know, kind of a cartoon character. But I knew there was a, a, a much deeper dimension to him, a more human side, yeah. as someone who's dealt with a lot of pain as, as any, you know, 80 something year old person uh, has. So, yeah, I mean, I like to and it's kind of in, in that role, um, you know, in the studio where it is more of an analytical role where you're breaking down the X's and O's. I'm also a little bit more of a, the storyline guy. So I kind of. You know, Clark makes fun of me because I have, um, you know, these blue index cards around me. I keep my stat nuggets and, yeah. um, you know, but um, I, I try to use the stats and the information to tell a, a broader story. I think that's how I can kind of differentiate myself from like coaches and players who are on TV. So it is the storytelling that that attracts me. And you have a different role on CBS than you do on TNT, where you're definitely the straight man. If you've got Charles Barkley and and Shaquille O'Neal and even Kenny, the Jet Smith. I mean, you've got to be the straight guy there. What's it like working with those guys? Well, it, you know, it, they're, they're just they're just basketball guys, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, but it, it was interesting, you know, the first year that CBS and Turner merged together, um, and I worked in uh, at the Atlanta studio, and those are the folks that do produce that show inside the NBA, which is a very freewheeling. Yeah, you know, yeah. CBS is is you know the Tiffany Network, right? We're a little bit more old school, we're more formatted, a little bit more packaged. Yeah, um, down in Atlanta at Turner, not only are you not as packaged, where they're you know they're trying to create a free free flowing environment they will throw stuff at you on the air usually with their paint boxes or graphics or whatever that you don't know is coming because they want to catch you off guard and catch those moments organic so um you know again i'm, I'm definitely uh you know a comedic type i don't know if that means i'm funny but i like to try to be i guess i'm a smart ass is what i'm saying <laughs> um and i like to have fun and i'm definitely uh you know a- able to laugh at myself you know i often say it's important to take your work seriously but not yourself seriously right. so uh you can't go down into that studio in atlanta and take yourself seriously they will 
disabuse you of that very, very quickly. So at the end of the day, it's just sports. Yeah. It's just, like I always say, almost says we're going on the air. All right, we're, we're on the air at five. And I'll look at my part. I'll say, remember everybody, it's only television. It's only television. Like, let's have fun. And it's, it's, I apologize for not remembering which network did it and which host did it and which studio analyst did it, but were you part of the dancing guys? Oh, for sure. Oh, oh for sure. That was, <laughs> I won't say that was my idea, but I was, when it was first suggested, I was the most enthusiastic about doing it. But I, I, I thought I was going to be doing it myself. And then I thought, well, that'd be look kind of goofy. So then they said, Hey, you know, all three of you guys are going to do it. And Wiley and Clark were, <laughs> were really good sports. And, and, you know, the, uh, what was great was how many people were, well, first of all, you know, here I am for weeks, you know, making all these really intelligent points about basketball. And the only thing anybody remembers from the tournament is us dancing with the emojis. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, and then how many people remarked on Clark's laugh and how, when they showed it, cause we had taped it beforehand, Clark just laughed so hard and then you know greg gumbel came on and played the curmudgeonly old school marm and that made clark laugh even more and you know i tell people i get to hear that sound all the time i mean clark is just such a beautiful good-natured good-hearted guy he just laughs all the time and you know I, I learned early on in tv david that you know chemistry is not something that you can turn on for the right. cameras it has to be there all the time you cannot fake it uh you cannot fake who you are and so it's got to be there on the car ride to the studio. It's got to be there in the production meetings. I mean, we're sitting up there the whole time right. watching ball, talking ball. I remember being out at, at a dinner uh, a couple of years ago. It was before our midseason bracket show with some NCAA folks. And I was, we had this kind of long table and I was sitting, I think, right across from Dan Gavitt, who's the main basketball guy at the NCAA. And, Cl and Clark was next to him. And I guess I hadn't seen Clark in a while. We're at this dinner and we're just talking ball. Like, what teams are you seeing? What play? Like, almost yeah. like we're on the air. And Dan was laughing about how you got, this is exactly what you do on television. You're doing it here on dinner yeah. because that's, that's really and truly who we are. So we had a, a we had a fun time with, 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 with the dancing. And, and I have to say that people, you know, complimented me on being the best dancer, but given the competition next to me, that really wasn't <laughs> All right, wrap up. I know, you, yeah. I know you've got to go and I appreciate your time. What will you be doing in 20 years? Uh, hopefully living and enjoying life, you know, knock wood, just being alive is, is a good start. No, don't take anything for granted. Um, you know, like I say, I, I think it all just sort of, goes back to enjoying what you're doing, whatever it is, have break. You have to choose your happiness and you have to choose your joy. Um, and, you know, I'm a writer, you know, I know that I'm, I'm known more from my television, but my DNA is as a writer and, you know, writers, writers don't retire, writers die. So, and, and I think, you know, I've sort of thought about, you know, what will it be like when I'm 70, 80, 90, hundred, however long I'm around. And I think I'll always, be writing and engaging um, with an audience or maybe just writing for myself. Um, but I, th I do think I know that scientifically it's a great way to keep your mind sharp and keep uh, from, you know, keeping the aging process as slow as we can make it. It's, we're never going to stop it, but we, it can be fast or not as fast. So um, living, reading, hopefully still taking Clark's money on the golf course. If there's one aspiration <laughs> I would like to have it as 90, I still want to be Clark Kellogg in golf, which is not easy to do, by the way, he's very good. I, I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. Well, Seth, it's always good to catch up with you. Uh, great to ha have you on the podcast and, and just keep doing what you're doing. I, I hope I was hoping you would say exact same thing. So 
your answer was close enough. Uh, yeah. Those of us who love watching you on CBS are glad to hear that you still plan on keeping keeping on doing that. Yeah, for sure, David. I appreciate the time, and uh, you're doing a great thing here with this, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with it. It was an honor to be with you today. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.